Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the Truth About Plant Medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave, untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors, outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. Tanya is an HG mom from Pennsylvania, and I speak with Tanya today about her very interesting roller coaster of a journey of hyperemesis gravidarum. And in a time where hyperemesis gravidarum wasn't very well known about, Tanya has had her HG pregnancies over the course of the past um, decade, with her last baby being in 2021. Tanya's story is super unique because she did not consume cannabis. and But then as her HG got worse, her medical professional that was in charge of her care accused her of using cannabis. Wow, what a story, ladies and gentlemen. This mom ironically took this piece of information that she learned. Well, I'm sorry, she was accused of. And she spun it around and said, okay, if the doctors are telling me not to use this cannabis plant, then maybe I'll give it a try. And so with careful consideration and gathering information, Tanya chose to use cannabis late into her pregnancy. And she describes that experience within this episode. And I had to pick up my jaw from the floor pretty much the entire time because this mom's story of resilience is incredible. Here's Tanya's story. have possibly had hg with your mm-hmm. illness but you just weren't uh you didn't quite know too much about it back then mm-hmm. of course being how many years ago was that that was in 20 2011 so 
it, they never even mentioned it at all to me. I know I definitely had it and it was a little bit different, but I, it was like every, every pregnancy just got way worse than the, you know, that's why the last one, it was like, okay, this is, this is it. I can't have any more kids after this. It's too much. Right. Um, but the first one, it did start out normal. And I was like, I was 24 and, um, we did do, um, and I, and that's one thing is I've always wondered, like, did some of the fertility treatments have anything to do with it? Um, but for this one, I did do Clomid for three cycles and then I stopped it, but then we were lucky. We actually got pregnant the following, um, month, you know, after we kind of gave up, oh, well, we'll just, you know, give up and just see what happens. And then I actually got pregnant. So that was nice. Um, and the pregnancy started out pretty normal. I would say the first 12 weeks, like I really didn't have like any nausea at all, but I really noticed it once I, I went to my third trimester, I was so nauseous. And then I started losing weight. Um, and I just couldn't keep any foods down. And I think the reason why I did so much better with this pregnancy, um, was because they had, um, you could go to an urgent care and get an IV. So it was very easy access. So, and I didn't even think about, I was on probably through the second trimester to the third, the third really got bad, but I was on Zofran almost that whole time, almost the whole pregnancy. And then I got, um, and I noticed with this one, I was very nauseous, but I didn't always throw up. I didn't always vomit. So that made it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So I had the nausea until the, you know, this second, you know, my son was born, you know, all the way through, you know, throwing up in labor and everything. But they never put it together that I had HG. And I I, only, I I think I gained weight normally. And I didn't start losing weight till the third trimester when they started to get alarmed. Mm-hmm. But I did have IVs, you know, kind of frequently through the pregnancy. And I was on Zofran. But they never mentioned, you know, hyperemesis, gravidarm, or anything at all. Right. Um, so, but I did notice, I, re- I remember vividly thinking in my mind, oh my gosh, my nausea is gone. Like I forgot what it's like to not feel nauseous 24 seven all day long. And I think because I was able to keep up with the IVs and the Zofran, um, I didn't, you know, lose weight until the end. And I kind of had, I think I lost 10 pounds at the end and my doctor started getting worried. Like, Hey, you're supposed to be gaining weight in this stage of your pregnancy. You know, mm-hmm. normally the baby grows like a pound a week in the, you know, last month or so. And I was like losing weight drastically. But I just couldn't keep anything down. Um, but I was never diagnosed. So, um, and you know, that, you know, kind of like stuck in my mind though, you know, oh wow, like and so I kind of was worried with my second pregnancy that I wouldn't have nausea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did go through kind of a fertility battle and it took seven years for me to get pregnant again. So I ended up doing IVF. Okay. Um, this doesn't really have anything to do with HG, but well, unfortunately, that- after my son, I had a retained placenta. So that was in for three weeks. And then after, you know, in the middle of the night, I started bleeding, you know, really badly. And I had to go back to the hospital and they said that they left some of the placenta in. So I'd have a DNC and then, um, you know, they got everything out, but that was, you know, hard. But then mm-hmm. that actually had to do with my fertility journey because my uterus ended up scarring to- shut basically. Oh, wow. So I wasn't able to get pregnant again. And then I had a couple of surgeries. They were trying to, they put a balloon in there for three weeks. <laughs> oh. So I, you know, tried natural, but then I still couldn't get pregnant, you know, even though they tried to fix my uterus. So I went ahead and did IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, so my second pregnancy, I actually was pregnant with triplets. 
Um, and I was very, very sick. So one of my embryos split. And I remember just even when they told me it was triplets, the first thing I did was throw up, but it wasn't because of the news. It was just was so sick. Of course. And um, unfortunately, you know, they told me I had triplets. I was about eight or nine weeks. Um, They're like, yeah, there's a third baby. Um, but then the following week, I unfortunately, they their heartbeat stopped. So I lost the twins because they were the ones that in the same sack. But then my um, my third baby, um, you know, he, he was still strong and I was just so sick and I kept going to the hospital and it was harder because now I was in Pennsylvania and you cannot just get an IV at urgent care. They sometimes won't even treat you unless you're at the maternity hospital. Um, So when I was, you know, losing my twins and I was like bleeding a lot, they put me on bed rest and they wouldn't even treat me. They put me in an ambulance and sent me to the maternity hospital, which is about 40 minutes away. And I do feel, you know, maybe that HD had a lot to do with me losing those twins because they they weren't growing and they were very small. And I don't know if it, they just didn't have enough nutrients because I wasn't able to really keep anything down um, at this point. But, you know, I was a little bit more prepared. So I, I told my doctor even before, you know, I said, I, I didn't know the word HD. I didn't know what it was. So I just yes. warned them. I said, well, in my first pregnancy about 10 years ago or seven years ago at the time, I had to always have IVs. I was very, very nauseous. And towards the end, I started losing weight and throwing up so much I couldn't stop until I had the baby. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just kind of brushed me off. Well, just let me know, you know, yeah. if you you feel sick. And I was sick, you know, I, like almost it's like I could feel the embryo implanting. And it was like I started getting sweaty. Like It was like as soon as that embryo implanted, I feel like I was nauseous. It was just so crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop throwing up but you know and I did sorry I don't know if I'm going in the correct oh, order um but I kept going to you know to the emergency room finally I went I think I was around 30 weeks or so and I was at I wasn't even at the maternity hospital because I was just desperate I was like I can't stop throwing up I can't I need I just need an IV I just know I need an IV yeah of I course went and I basically because I didn't want to drive myself you know, I left work because I was still working. I left work and I went, um, to the closest hospital, which is like, I know you're not a maternity hospital. I said, all I need is fluids. That's all you need to give me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I cannot drive myself 40 minutes away. So the doctor I had was really kind at the time. And he was like, have you ever heard of hyperemesis gravidarum? And I said, no. (laughs) And then he kind of explained it to me. He's like, I really think this is what you have. If you said you've been on you know, since day one, since you got pregnant, you've been on Zofran. Um, and then with your last pregnancy, you know, you took Zofran. And so he also gave me um, Reglan, like through my IV and, you know, just to try to help, you know, but he was the only one who was kind and like sat down and explained it to me after, right. you know, <laughs> all of this time. And because you're current, so I brought it up to my midwives and they told me that they thought I just had like a stomach flu. <laughs> and wow. I was like, oh my gosh. It was like, oh yeah, was, like seven months of a stomach flu. That doesn't even make sense. Like, mm-hmm. and I was just so surprised like how, you know, they were to like brush it off. Um, but none of the medications were working. I was on Phenergan. I was on Zofran and Reglan. I tried the suppositories. Mm-hmm. Um just nothing would work. And this one, it was very expensive to go to the ER every time to get IVs, but that was the only time I could get them. 
So it was like, I was like, I would wait until I like felt like I was literally going to die. And then it would go. (laughs) It was so expensive. (laughs) Do you mind me asking how much was it? Um, I would say every ER visits probably about two to $3,000. As a, as a Canadian, I'm just in shock. Wow. 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 (laughs) So that's why I literally would wait until I, you know, felt like I was going to die to go in because I I couldn't get the treatment. So, so finally I would say I was like maybe 35 weeks or so, maybe like the last month of my pregnancy, I just couldn't you know, take it anymore. I mean, I, this one, I feel like I, I was able to eat maybe like once a day, maybe. So it wasn't as bad as my, you know, my last one, but still, you know, only one eating once a day to still possibly throw that up. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not, you know, good in pregnancy, you know, (laughs) It, it doesn't feel good. Like I feel like starving when you're pregnant is like one of the worst feelings in the world because you need you know, that strength and nutrition for your growing baby, but it just doesn't seem like the doctors like know what to do. So finally, you know, I was researching, researching, because I was like, how can I help myself? And, um, you know, even before I even tried using cannabis, you know, plant medicine, I had the doctors accusing me of using it. And I had never even like, they actually kind of gave me the idea because I was like, oh, well, why are they accusing me of this? Let me go research, you know, because I noticed like, you know, normally when they tell you not to do something, it's probably better and more natural for you. So I actually hadn't even used cannabis in like 12 years, maybe. So I couldn't believe that they were trying to, it was like, they were trying to trap me into saying I was using it. Wow. And I, at that time I wasn't, they were like, well, you know, hyperemesis can come from marijuana, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what are you talking about? I said, I haven't even used that in like since I was like 21, you know, I was like, I, this, that's not what this is. And then I remember this one midwife, she had like really long eyelashes. Like, that's all I remember of her. She was just like, it was like, she was trying to like trap me into saying I was using it when I wasn't. And so, yeah. So so anyways, that kind of gave me, I was like, well, let me research this. So then I had a friend who she was able to, you know, she mixed it in these little capsules. She gave me these ginger um, pills and they had like, I guess, you know, cannabis in it with ginger and it actually was able to help me eat. So, I mean, what a great friend. Yeah, finally, I was able, you know, to, you know, eat something. And I, w- I actually gained 15 pounds that pregnancy, um, you know, towards the end. I feel like I was able to, you know, at least eat once or twice a day. And mm-hmm. towards the end, it was like, you know, I was still very nauseous. You know, it doesn't go away completely. But, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get hospitalized or anything like, you know, my last pregnancy, you know, the the next one I'm about to tell you about. Right. Yeah. Would so, you? It ended up being okay. Um, you know, but it was still, you know, really bad. So I thought I could have another baby <laughs> thinking, okay, well, you know, I'll just be prepared and, you know, I'll use, you know, these same capsules. Um, but my final, so I, my son was 15 months old and then I was like, all right, well, let's just do this. You know, cause I was 35. I was like, let's just have this baby. If I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. So I had mm-hmm. the courage to do it because I felt like I could use, you know, cannabis and get through it. Yeah, but it just the last one was just so bad. <laughs> it was so bad, hey. 
So um, I can go into that one if you want me to, or I don't know if you have any questions. Yeah, I, I have a couple of questions. Would you say um, during your second pregnancy then, would you say that cannabis improved your quality of life during that time? Yes, because before that I was unable to eat at all, you know, whatsoever without throwing up. Um, you know, maybe I would get lucky one meal a day, one meal every other day, which is just not ideal when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, you know, I would take the cannabis pills and they would make me feel like really tired, but I would be able to eat and then not throw up. And it was the it was like the only thing that was like the pills, I feel like made it a little bit, you know, it took a little bit longer to kick in, True. but I was grateful that I was able to, cause it was, you know, it's, it has such a stigma. So I felt so guilty. And of course, you know, like you're trying to know, I'm just trying to save my, you know, me and my baby's life. It's like, I've already lost two yeah. babies. Like you have to talk, talk yourself, you know, into it. So I was like against the smoking of it and all that, just because, you know, I have the stigma, mm-hmm. um, which is very, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the pills and luckily this time I was able to, you know, swallow pills. Um, and it, it, it did help me. Um, but the second pregnancy I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to be prepared, you know, yeah, all I tried to, but it was during COVID. So I got pregnant and no, actually this was 2021. So it was one year after COVID. Oh yeah. Um, Same time as me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I got pregnant in, I would say, Oh, wait, no, I did get pregnant in 2020. Okay, so I got pregnant in June of 2020. So we did go do a transfer and they were, because they kind of shut everything down for a while during COVID. Right, right. Um, But they opened it back up and they were, you know, doing um, IVF transfers. So I did go and I I went there and I did that. And it was the same thing. It's like I could feel the embryo implanting. I just started getting sweaty and hot. It was like immediately. Yes. And this time though, I thought maybe, you know, it had something to do with the medication because I was on, my estrogen was low. So I was on more estrogen than normal. Um, and you know, that can cause, uh, they said estrogen and progesterone, you know, they can cause more nausea. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, cause I kept trying to figure it out too. With my second pregnancy, I was so nauseous and my progesterone levels were so high. So, you know, I'd keep trying to correlate and ask the doctor, like, is this because of this? And it's just, they just have no knowledge about HD at all. And it's just so crazy to me. For your, so, third, for your third pregnancy, did you stick with the same doctors or say midwives or different? I, I did. Um, I did because I had one really good one. Um, but unfortunately, um, her name was Suzanne and she was just so kind to me. And she, you know, she's the one who tried to help me, you know, prescribe me all these like medicines when I was sick and she was just really kind. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping to have her again. Um, but unfortunately she was, um, working from home. So I had another one, her name was Melissa, who she was very sympathetic, but she couldn't help me. I mean, I tried everything this time again. Cause you know, I was just, I was like, okay. Cause they kept accusing. I feel like they kept trying to accuse you. Luckily I never got any drug tests because I never would admit it because I was like, I don't want CPS at my door ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I just had, I just had to deny it because I was so scared of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so with the second pregnancy, it started out, you know, just as bad, like probably like worse than ever. You know, my first 12, 14 weeks were just really dramatic, you know, just vomiting like 20 to 30 times a day. It was way worse than I could have ever imagined from my other two. I mean, it just got dramatically worse each time. So with this one, I was only able to eat maybe once a week, maybe. Um, 
And then, so I, I did use the only time I could eat. So I, I then started, um, because I couldn't keep the pills down. So that's one thing where I couldn't keep anything down. So even, you know, my friend gave me the same cannabis pills, mm-hmm. couldn't keep them down at all. I can, but I still had that pain. stigma in my head, you know, about smoking. I can't smoke when I'm pregnant. You know what I mean? Totally. So I tried all the medicines again. I tried the Zofran, the Reglian, the Phenergan, the, I don't even know. I was on like eight medicines. They give me like a scopoline patch, which I, you know, research and it's like a black label drug. Like these are all black label drugs. These are horrible for you. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah. It's just like a little patch. It doesn't work, but <laughs> they put it on you, but it's, it's so bad for you and your baby. Okay. Yeah. And so I was on like eight medications at a time. They just threw every medicine they could at me. Wow. And cause I was about six and well, they didn't even see me in person because I don't know if it's because of COVID until about 12 weeks. They didn't even do my first trimester blood work. It was just really bad care, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked them if I could do IVs from home. I said, one of the things that like was a lifesaver for me was being able to get fluids in both of my previous pregnancies. And they're like, oh, we've never, never heard of that. We've never heard of home care. So the first midwife didn't even look into it, which I was kind of upset. Finally, I went back, it was like 20 weeks and I went back to my, um, I was able to get one appointment with my favorite midwife, the one that really helped me out. And she was like, I will do this. I will set this up for you. Cause I had lost, I think 20 pounds already. So my first two pregnancies, I didn't lose any weight. So I don't know if they didn't take me seriously. Um, but I was already, you know, down 20 pounds and, but another thing that I think is so important that I think people need to realize is that no matter what your starting weight is with HG, because I feel like I was, I was overweight and I feel like they were like, oh, you're fine. You need, they told me you need to lose weight anyways. Right. I feel like no matter what your starting weight is, it doesn't matter. Like if you're losing weight when you're pregnant from HG, it's still very dangerous. You're starving while pregnant. So that was one thing that I feel like I kind of had a stigma for that, you know, oh, you're overweight, you're fine, you need to lose weight anyways. Like they would praise me for losing weight. And I'm like, do you not realize I'm eating like one meal a week? Like I'm literally dying here. Mm -hmm. But they didn't care. So finally I got um, that appointment with my midwife and she was able to, she did a lot of work to help me set up the home care. So I had nurses coming. um, I think it was probably around 16 weeks that started. So, um, you know, this is two years ago, so I forget. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. funny because like my HD battle was so hard that I forget that I had to do, you know, IVF because for some people IVF is like their battle, but like, no, HD was my battle because I was like <laughs> really hard. But, um, so they were able to set up the IVs, but I was so dehydrated that it would take like seven times for them to try to get the IV in oh, uh, for the first couple of times they couldn't even get it in. So they would have to come back the next day or they'd be like, we can't get it in. So you need to go to the, you know, the maternity hospital. Oh, no. And so I, you know, kept asking them for a pick line. I even had, um, you know, my nurse is advocating for me. She needs a pick line. She needs a pick line. Um, we can't give her fluids. You know, she's having to go to the ER, be hospitalized all the time because we can't get the IVs in, but they refused me that for some reason. So then around 20 weeks, I was so sick. I couldn't stop throwing up. I was at work. I basically passed out on the floor. I went and I was hospitalized for almost the whole month of January of 2021. Wow. Um, so I went and they told me all the medications they had put me on had damaged my heart. So I had to have all these 
what are the EKGs, I think. Um, and I was there for a week and they, I just, it was just so crazy to me because I had a team of 10 doctors that would come in because I guess I had such a rare, you know, HD case that I was like a spectacle or whatever. So I had a team of all these young doctors learning, 10 people coming in, looking at me, nobody could help me. So finally they took me off all the medicines because they're like, well, your heart is damaged. So you can't take these anymore. I said, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, that must like I'm never going to be able to eat. Like, I feel like me and my baby are being sent home to die. Like it was really horrible. I'm sorry. That is okay. That is not okay what they did at all. And so they sent me home for a week and I was like the word, like, I mean, not like these medicines helped anyways, but I ended up back there again, like the following week. Mm-hmm. And then I was like hospitalized for like, you know, I just like basically the whole month it was like in and out of the maternity hospital. So finally, I just got the courage. I was like, you know what? Because I was doing all this research and I was like, I think I'm just going to have to smoke. Like, I was like, I don't care because I cannot keep anything down and I'm dying and my baby's dying. And now my heart has gone bad. I have no medication I can take because they took it out of my IVs too. Um, I was like, well, sometimes the only way Zofran works is through my IV. And they're like, nope, they took it away. So I still went home, still couldn't get my IVs in. You know, I had people like, it made me feel really bad because like the nurses, like they didn't, they didn't want to come to my house because they knew how hard it was and they didn't want to help me. I only, only had one nurse who was like willing to help me at this point. And then they still like the reason the doctor, she said, we can't give you a pick line because there's somebody in um, the ICU right now who had a pick line and got sepsis and now they're almost dying. I was like, well, I mean, to me, that just didn't seem like, you know, very good. Okay. So somebody else got sick from it, but I, Mm -hmm. I need this. It was just really strange. Mm -hmm. So I got sent home with no drugs, nothing. So I was very sick, of course, you know, worse than ever. Yeah. Had to go back again. So I went back and then there was this weird lady. It was like she was trying to accuse me of using cannabis. And she was in there for 20 minutes. She's like, if you tell me, she's like, I think we need to give you a midline, not a pick line. But she's like, if you just admit it, you know, like we'll admit you and we'll give you like she was like trying to bribe me to tell her I was using cannabis. And I wasn't yet at that point. Right. Because I just, you know, I was too too scared to do it. So finally, after this last hospital stay where I couldn't, you know, they they decided to, they were like, okay, we'll give you Zofran back in your IV. How about that? And then even in the hospital, my vein blew. They had to have the special IV team come, try to help me. Even that lady, you know, they had to use the ultrasound to find my veins because I, I was so dehydrated and so sick. Mm-hmm. And... She said, this girl needs a pick line. We cannot give her fluids. And they still refused it. I still don't understand to this day. Wow. Um, I had like seven people say that's what she needs so she can easily get her fluids at home and, you know, do it for herself. And um, so, you know, finally, after that hospital visit, they, you know, I had to beg them for four weeks to give me Zofran back in my IVs because that kind of helped a little bit, kind of, you know. Um, but then I just finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to use, you know, the green, like the flower. Um, you know, my same friend gave me that because I was like, I can't keep anything down. So I would take these pills and I, they, I couldn't get the effects from it because I couldn't keep anything down. Right. 
So I finally, I think I was like, I want to say I was probably seven months, maybe six or seven months pregnant at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started using it. And oh my gosh, like it was the only thing in the world that would relieve my nausea where I could eat even just, you know, once a week. I know that sounds crazy. I only eat like once a week, but it would help me do that. Like I I was so sick that even, you know, the cannabis, like it didn't like, it wasn't like a hundred percent cure all, but Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, it was the only thing to help me eat. I, it was the only thing I, you know, that would help me eat. It was immediate relief, and I mean, I, I, I still wasn't. I think I just had a really bad case, but I wasn't like a hundred percent. But it was, I could eat, you know, at least some something sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's um, incredible. Um, yeah, because they wanted to give me a, a a feeding tube. I don't know if you had to have one of those, but whoa. And the nurse came to me and she said, "Look." She said, if we give you a feeding tube and we put this in your stomach and we can't cure your nausea, you're just going to throw it back up. Right. So I don't, I don't think this is the way to go. And I was like, I agree. I totally agree. And she was like being honest with me. She was the one who was like calling and advocating like this girl needs a pick line. You guys have to help her. You're not helping her. Um, and I refused it. I just, I was like, no, I said, that doesn't seem like a good treatment for me. And I got so mad. I just, I kind of was like, I want to discharge myself from the hospital. I don't feel like you guys are helping me. You guys are just staring at me like I'm a freak show and refusing me the treatment that I've researched for years. This is my third HG pregnancy. You know, even though the other ones may not have been diagnosed, like I know they were because I was so sick and it like sick to the point where it's not normal, you know, mm-hmm. and they refused it. So I was like, please let me go home. So they were like, if you eat this sandwich, you can leave. I was like, okay. So I ate it, kept it in, but I was so sick. I just, in the lobby, I had, I went downstairs, found a bathroom and I threw up because I couldn't keep anything down and I just went home. And then I finally started, you know, trying the cannabis and then I was able to eat and make it through the rest of my pregnancy. Like, okay. Um, but even after, you know, that I lost even like more weight, you know, I feel like even two years later, I feel like I'm still losing weight. Like if I don't use cannabis, like it's almost like I can't eat and I feel like, still a mess from <laughs> yeah no and that's that's totally fair um what was I going to say I was going to ask you one question uh has this ever happened to anyone else in your family before does HG run in your family no wow that is yeah. so interesting so this you were like the first in your family to experience this yeah. or perhaps is there any female relatives that passed away who might have had it possibly I don't mm, myself that not much. that not that I not that I know of. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, which is is weird because we have some things like I don't know if you ever heard of demur where you you know you get really like sad feelings from breastfeeding. It's like super rare, like one oh, yes, percent. That runs in my family, which is interesting. Okay, but okay. nobody else has had HG, so I don't know. But I did hear that sometimes the gene comes from the father. It was like the H two five or something gene. Yeah, it actually comes from the dad. True. Does your uh, partner have any history of females vomiting during pregnancy? Um, not that I, I don't know. I, I guess I could ask. I mean, he doesn't know. His mom's like a lot older. She's like eighty. So I mean, I guess I could oh, ask. Gotcha. Oh, fair yeah, enough. Fair enough. Yeah, she might. That might be something to. But she's also deaf, so it's a little hard to communicate. True. true. But that I'm would be interesting true. to know, like where I got this from, because of course I've done research trying to, you know, figure out what this this yeah. is from and. Yeah, um, but you're so right. It does come also from uh, dad's genes as well. Uh, in my mm-hmm. case, it happened to be my own, so it was easy to figure out. But uh, 
Yeah, it can definitely happen. Uh, I think moms who are like, whoa, the, this isn't in my family. Um, it's definitely worth looking into partners mm-hmm. family, if you can, just just for your own knowledge and stuff. But it's also sometimes hard to yeah. have conversations with older women. Um, I know I've tried to ask my grandmas about it, and they're really not open to talking about birth and pregnancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I hope, hope that uh, our generation really shifts that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, your postpartum experience was quite, um, for lack of a better word, scary as well. Hey, you were mm-hmm. losing quite a bit of weight postpartum. Yeah. So I actually lost more weight. I mean, which is fine because, but I feel like it, but also not fine because I feel like I lost all my muscle. It's basically yes. just starving. Yes. So starving is like never a fun way to lose weight. And that's why, you know, I just really wish, you know, I feel like that's so important for doctors to know, like, it doesn't matter what your starting weight is. You're still starving. Mm-hmm. So I feel like overall, since this last pregnancy, I've lost about 75 pounds. Like that's, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot. And it's, you know, I feel like it would be different. And I always, you know, people, oh, you look great and stuff. It's like, well, it'd be different if I like, you know, was like working out or like eating, eating healthy, but I'm like literally still starving and it sucks. It's such <laughs> a, it's such a strange feeling and it's hard to communicate it to others because they just, they don't even understand what they they need to understand in order to understand yeah. what they need to understand. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's like, um, the I, I always struggled. I don't know about you, but the fact that people just focus on our bodies, like after we give birth yeah. for these first two mm-hmm. years and it's like, they're, why are you complimenting me on how I look and not maybe like, Oh, the cool activity I did this morning with my child. Yeah. It's, it's such a strange and toxic way of talking about pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, it definitely is. That's a surreal feeling to experience it yourself, for sure. Um, did you have support, uh, like, from those around you during your pregnancies and postpartum? Um, I mean, I think so, but not really. Yeah, it was <laughs> I feel like the most supportive one was my my ten year old son. You oh. know, he like because you know he just would be so nice and like bring me water, like when I was like on the couch, but. I mean, this last pregnancy, like, I don't even know. Like, I did work until I didn't even know how I stayed working, but I don't know how. I, I just, you know, and I, cause I, I feel like sometimes my partner would be like, I, he's just not like, he, he loves me, but he's, it's hard for him to like show like compassion. Um, oops. Oh, hold on. Sorry. No, oh, no, you're sorry. Getting a message there. Um, just good. because, you know, he actually, he's a, he's a war veterans so he has a brain injury so sometimes that can affect your your empathy lobe you know right in the front so like he would try and try and help me as much as he can and definitely during the last one like he was more sympathetic as he saw like you know she just can't throw it up like she's throwing up 24 7 but then I almost felt like people would get annoyed that I wasn't getting better like my friends would ask oh are you feeling better no not you know sometimes I would just lie to oh yeah I'm you know yeah I'm better sure (laughs) because it was like almost like they would be annoyed at me that I wasn't getting better and it was just like I'm not trying to do this to myself like I you know I wish I could not throw up and I wish I could eat like who wants to be starving you know Mm -hmm. of course so I just you know in postpartum I was trying to figure out too and that's why the the her foundation that was a really because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me like why I kept throwing up and why I kept feeling yeah um, nauseous, Let's you know. Talk about that a little bit. Um, how much or like describe like you're throwing up a little bit like postpartum. What how okay. many months? How many months did you? So so the first pregnancy, I was literally as soon as I had the baby, immediately better, cured, fine. I was able to eat again. 
My second son, it took about four months, you know, four months to kind of feel like I could eat again. Like, but I, but I was fine after that. Totally normal. Mm-hmm. This last pregnancy, I, I feel like I still like had like nausea, but, and I couldn't figure out cause it's like, well, it's not like I want to throw up. Like I don't want to throw up, but it was like, I still couldn't keep some foods down. Yeah. So then I looked into things, you know, from the, the her foundations that some people can get like cyclic vomiting which I don't think that's what I have. I did think for a while and I even went to like a gastro doctor. I was like, yeah, I have this intense stomach pain. I thought maybe it could be like, maybe my gallbladder went bad because I saw some people when they have HD that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just looked at me and he, I, I said, I threw up for nine months. You know, there's gotta be some nine months. And then two years before that, you know, another nine months is like four years of just like puking. Mm-hmm. So but he looked me straight in the eye with like a smirk. He was like, no, that doesn't make any long lasting effects. And I was like, wow, I can't I was like, there's that. no way that that doesn't affect your body. Like bulimics, people who are bulimic have like severe, severe, you know, health consequences. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe it. And I was just like, OK, so I never went back. He was going to do like a scope surgery on me. That would have been so expensive. Mm. And I don't think that's like what the issue was. I, I do feel like it might be maybe a little bit more, you know, mental. I'm not sure because like, for example, soup, I still can't eat soup four years later for my second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I did see that um, on your page, you know, what really struck me was that, was it ARFID or something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah that A-R-F-I-D. Yes. So I think that's might be what I have. Cause like some things that I just threw up so much or like, you know, I just can never eat them. And sometimes I feel like if I feel sick, like I'm still eating my safe foods from HG, which is like, I don't know, lemonade and Pringles. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, this is a common one. That, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, because like, like all you can eat lemonade, Pringles, maybe yes. some gummy bears. Like that was like my diet. Yes, yes, so true. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, one of the key indicators of ARFID, um, ARFID is kind of, it can, it has like two realms. ARFID can be like, uh, picky eaters and kids who had trauma from like learning to eat and stuff like that, or it can stem from other trauma such as vomiting and choking. And so, us who experience the vomiting ongoing for months upon months upon months, of course, there's something happening in our brains. Like, of course, it's affecting our brains. And so, it is. It's a, it's a mental thing. Um, it's all psychological, and it's so interesting how connected it all is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, have you found anything to help your ARFID? Um, I mean, kind of, but like, I just, there's just still only certain foods I can eat. So I've just been kind of going with it. Like sometimes I can just like, another thing too, I don't know if this happened to you is I feel like I lost my ability to know if I'm hungry. Like I don't, I don't feel it. Like I, like I, I only sometimes it'll be three o'clock and I'll be like, you know, I'll get like a like a back pain or like I feel like I'm going to faint. I'm like, oh, I must be hungry. Let me eat something. And sometimes I like have to force myself to just eat a piece of bread, you know, like I, that's all I can eat. I can definitely. So I don't. And, but and that's why, like, I still do, you know, use cannabis because sometimes that's the only way like I can eat normal. A hundred percent. Yeah. One of the things I noticed for myself, uh, if this is true for you as well, there was like a lack of or absence of dopamine when, so when I ate food, I didn't experience happiness. I didn't experience 
um, you know, that old feeling that we had before pregnancies when you eat your favorite food and it's just so good and yeah. you're like watching the movie and you're like, Ooh, yay, this is so fun. I didn't, I couldn't experience that. Every food, oh, yeah. every food was a chore. Yeah. And so it is a chore. Yeah. I feel like I have to force myself to eat a piece of bread so I don't like pass out, you know? Yes. And so what I found was the golden teachers, the magic mushrooms that I always talk about, the psilocybin, that is what A, decrease the vomit reflex, but B, I have dopamine now when I eat in my brain. It's crazy. And so um, if you get the chance and you have the access, do try the golden Mm -hmm. teachers if you can. Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to. I've been, you know, unfortunately it's uh, nothing is legal here. So it's like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I like to just like, wait, true. But I gotta, is a little yeah, bit that's the, the problem is, I mean, I just wish they would just, you know, legalize it because I've even seen, you know, such great studies about using, um, you know, psychedelics to help cure like traumas. And I feel like it could really help people, but mm-hmm. we just have to wait, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I really would love to just have like a connection for, well, I know of like an online connection, uh, for like HG moms to access psilocybin, but she sometimes runs out of stock and I have to confirm with her that she ships all over the country, but I'll have to share that maybe in the captions for this podcast later, okay. the summary of this podcast later. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So that's kind of like an, that's the route that I found that has worked for myself, for my RFID. Uh, the doctor's solution was like antidepressants and antipsychotics. So oh, I can't take any of those. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking with your heart condition, you might not be able to as well. And so this might be perfect. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Magic mushrooms have helped me a lot. But yeah. Anyways, um, is there a- what anything else you would like to add about how HG impacts um, or how cannabis? Well, it's, I mean, definitely, you know, I've, I've researched so much, you know, about it and it's just unfortunate that they don't do more studies because the gene that HG women, um, I forget, I, I don't know. I think it's H something. Yeah, 125. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that is actually 10 times more, I guess, profound, I don't know what word to use, than cancer patients. Mm -hmm. So HG patients have 10 times the amount of that, you know, gene that makes you nauseous and vomit in their bodies than cancer patients. And cancer patients are allowed to use cannabis. And so I just, I wish that they would see that and um, try to do some more studies because there is such a stigma about it. And I just couldn't believe the whole time. It was like I was even when I wasn't using it, I mean, they're literally the ones who kind of gave me the idea. Well, hey, let me look into this. You know, That's if they don't want me to use it, it's probably going to help me. I mean, hey, yeah, unfortunately. So, oh, I was going to bring up this little point that I was thinking of. Um, how you said where cancer patients have um less. I think it's like hormone. It's like something to do with the throwing up hormone in our in mm-hmm. our in our stomachs, in our bodies, in our brains, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Um they do have less than HG moms. And Mm -hmm. when our bodies are at that point of starvation and wasting away, essentially, it's called cachexia. And cachexia signals to our brains that we are dying, unfortunately. And that's something that like, that's why we felt like it was such an alert to us when we had HG. Like we felt like we had to do everything we could to protect ourselves and our babies. Mm -hmm. Because there was literally 
a signal going to our brain saying we were dying. Isn't that insane? Mm -hmm. Like that's what cancer patients also experience, um, chemotherapy patients experience as well. Mm. And so for them not to make these or for them not to realize how similar these things are and how cannabis helps the chemotherapy patients, it's Mm -hmm. just not making a lot of sense. (laughs) No. (laughs) And I feel like if anything, it's more natural. Like I, you know, when I really sat down and thought about it, I was like, this is an herb that's been on this planet since, you know, it was made, you know, this is it been in history, like this helps people. It's natural. Luckily, they legalized it in Pennsylvania. But, you know, it's just you just think about it. It's like, would I rather use a natural herb or all these synthetic medicines that are literally stopping my heart? You know, I mean, I I felt even worse and they didn't even help the nausea. So I was like harming myself and my baby because my doctors were telling me to do this, but it was actually worse for me than, you know, me doing research and taking it into my own hands and using plant medicine to help myself. I don't think I would have made it through that pregnancy if I didn't start using the cannabis because I wouldn't have been able to eat. And I, like you said, I lost all all my muscle. Like I felt like I was dying. I mean, my leg, I have no leg muscle anymore, you know? Yes, it's, I can relate to it's that. hard. <laughs> yes, I remember just like looking at my legs after birth and I was like, those aren't my legs. Where'd my legs go? Because you, you can't see your legs when you're that pregnant at the end, right? Like, like your thighs. But then I, I remember I was like, those aren't my legs. So what the heck? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so if I don't laugh, I'll cry, I guess. <laughs> I know. it's so It's so hard. It's just, you know, to see your, you know, your body change and like, you know, people compliment you oh yeah you're looking so skinny and I'm just like I'm starving to death like that was just like one thing that gets me so bad me too me That's too right oh it's right in the heart real deep <laughs> yeah <laughs> people would think twice sometimes before they say things to pregnant postpartum women yeah <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much Tanya for sharing your story that was that was quite the story and I cannot wait for some other moms to hear this and be like wow I wasn't alone that also happened to me too that's gonna be amazing so thank you yeah and that's what I wanted to share just because I feel like we need more awareness and Mm -hmm. I want doctors you know when they see HD to be able to you know to help and I wish we could somehow incorporate more plant medicine into our um you know our medicine but I don't know if we ever want but I hope so I hope so too. I really do. And telling stories like this and yeah, speaking our truth about the truth about HG, the truth about plant medicine and the truth about what doctors are kind of giving us as other solutions um, is going to hopefully push that forward. So that's yes. Mm-hmm. Tanya, do you have any tips for moms um, for how to like heal from all of the trauma of HG, uh, birth trauma and, you know, everything that kind of goes along with this, anything that helped you postpartum? Well, definitely, I would say, you know, keep using, you know, the cannabis if it can help you eat, like you said, the magic mushrooms. Um, But for me, really, you know, life changing that helped me kind of get my strength back and it was low impact was yoga. Um, I really dove into my yoga experience and I feel like I was able to get some strength back, some muscle back because it is very low impact. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also the meditation, I feel like really helped me heal from a lot of the trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would definitely recommend, you know, just trying, trying to build back that muscle that you've lost. Um, it's hard, especially when you're still, you know, if you've had a really strong HG experience, you may still have eating troubles. Um, but you know, anything, you know, like yoga, swimming, I would say light, 
you know, light exercises to help, you know, it does release hormones. It can make you feel, you know, happier. Um, but yeah, I'm like a strong <laughs> advocate for yoga. I'm actually going to start yoga school soon. I just, you know, just to be a teacher. So just, it's, you know, kind of how you are like, I'm going to be an HD advocate. Like I felt like for me, I kind of felt like I almost had like too much trauma. Like it just triggers me so much when I even think about it. But I was like, how can I help people? And I feel like yoga, I feel like it's my calling. So that's yes, what I want to do. <laughs> I, love, I love how yoga opened. Well, a lot of trauma can be stored in the hips. And so yoga yeah. helped me to get to that part of me. And yeah. I need to get back into it. I've kind of wandered away from it for the past couple months. Um, but yoga also really helped me a lot. So that's really cool that you mentioned that. And I'm so yeah. excited for you to be a teacher. That'll be so cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm excited too. I'm nervous, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a great journey. HG moms are some of the bravest women I know. We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.